to grow, it's like a snake shedding its skin, right? You want to be you want to be the snake. You don't want to be the skin. And so, think about how do, how can you grow as the company grows? How do you continue to up your game? And think about your role or the role you want to be in a year from now, two years from now. What are the skill sets that you see other people in those roles, possibly at the same company, possibly at other companies? And how do you work on yourself on that right now? Right? How do you make yourself better? This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing: stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, howdy, howdy! Danny the Rev Wasserman coming to you for this week's episode of Reveal in the Gong Studios. Coming to us is a force to be reckoned with. Someone who actually has crossed paths with numerous Reveal alumni just goes to show it is a very small world out there. But what this individual done most recently, and obviously most impressively, is dedicating so much of his time and resources to philanthropy. But before he had all this newfound direction to give back to his community, he took Datadog as their chief revenue officer from zero to hero, posting an absolutely historic IPO. And along that way, in between those bookends, he is going to shower us with an embarrassment of riches when it comes to all of the wisdom he gleaned along the way, taking that organization from $60 million to over a billion dollars. Yes, we've got Dan Fougere, former CRO of Datadog in the house, who's talking about how you possess humanity, humility, and compassion along the way as a leader, and the necessity of maintaining those three pillars as you go through the ups and downs of this journey, leaving no space for an absence of gratitude as he took Datadog from, as I mentioned before, really a modest business to an absolutely overwhelming whopper. He had this timeless piece of advice. He said, are you going to be the snake or the skin? What he meant by that is, as snakes shed their skin with the seasonality of change, well, do you want to be the skin that's left behind? Or are you going to be that corporeal snake that continues to remain relevant and present? Because we know change to be inevitable. And we ask ourselves, well, do we want to continue to persist as the snake or perish like the skin? He's also going to touch on PLG and how PLG has a time and place alongside outbound motions and sales teams. But again, I'm trying to do my best to represent Dan. And you don't want to hear from me. You want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. So it's time for me to put a cork in it and tell you, DJ, spin that. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome back to the Gong Studios for what is going to be much like this guest historic IPO. Today will be a historic episode. Starting from where we will kick off, we're going to demystify and unpack what the hell PLG means, not from a marketer's perspective, but from a sales leader's perspective. And there's so much more to this guest who is joining me with over four years running at BMC. I'm curious to know if there were lessons taken away as this guest overlapped with the legendary John McMahon, then to go on and have a rise to sales leadership at Medallia, finally culminating with a historic finish as the CRO of Datadog, currently just shy of a $40 billion market cap and a legendary IPO back in 2019 when he was at the helm of the sales organization. Folks, 
while he aspires to be, did I get this right? A galactic emperor. You may also know him as a board member of nonprofits like Homes for Our Troops, Heap, and Manta. Ladies and gents, that leaves none other than Dan Fougere in the house. Dan, welcome to Reveal. Danny, I'm just here for the intro, man. That you, you have the best intro in the business. That makes me feel so good. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Uh, well, Dan, okay. As we alluded to, here you are representing a wildly iconic, recognizable, unforgettable exit from an organization that prided itself on PLG. And I think there's so many milestones you achieved during your runs at whether it was BMC, Medallia, or Datadog. Really, we'd like to understand, were there things leading up to Datadog that were transferable in your tenure in sales? And by extension, oh my God, are there things that for everyone else who's listening, ICs and sales leaders alike, who want to achieve that billion-dollar milestone, who want to go out on the public markets, are there things that they can replicate? So I know that's a meaty topic. Go ahead and just start taking bites. 100%, man. So I think I, w- I had the good fortune. I started as an engineer, mm-hmm. and I had I used CAD. I love the software, and I ended up going to a, a software company called Parametric Technology Corporation. And I went there as a technical person, but that's how I found out about sales because PTC had this legendary sales organization. And I, I got two amazing things there. I got an awesome sales training. And I also had an awesome network of people who I still work with and talk to every day. You mentioned John McMahon, Carlos De La Torre, Adam Ahrens. You know, you go down the list. There's just an incredible list of these people, Scott Davis. And so... Um, I think I was able to, I did four four startups, mm-hmm. four of them had a successful IPOs. Each one, the first one I went in as a rep, the second one I went in as a first line leader, yeah. third as a VP, and then the fourth as a CRO. And I think there's no shortcuts. You've mm-hmm. got to master each level before you can take it to that next level. Mm. So I think the people you work with, the training you get, and mastery of each level is going to help you be able to be successful as a CRO. Amazing. Let's talk about PLG in particular, because there's so many things that we can unpack with Datadog's run, but PLG seems to be what comes to mind when most people think, oh God, yeah, there are lots of PLG companies, but you guys were on a rocket ship. I think from 60 yeah. million when you arrived in ARR in 2017 to well over a mm-hmm. billion by the time you left, takes a lot of, well, we'll say strategy, a lot of skill, maybe a little bit of luck in there, but tell us how PLG fits into that smoothie of dimensions. Awesome homework, man. Um, so when I showed up, we were doing about 60 million years. I started in January of 2017, and we just ticked over 60 million ARR, which is amazing. We were doubling year over year, which is also amazing. But we were really primarily focused at that time on inbound deals from other cloud-based startups who would mm-hmm. buy oftentimes via credit card for month-to-month deals. Mm-hmm. So I was brought in to do a few things. One, build out an enterprise or a team, build out international, build outbound in addition to the inbound that we had, have mm-hmm. accurate forecasting, build out the channel, and be able to recruit an awesome team that could scale. So yeah. we put those two things together, easier said than done, but yeah. that was actually, here's a funny thing. So I think AWS reInvent maybe started yesterday or. Yep, it's going so on at, this week. At, at reInvent six years ago, I presented a 40 slide deck to Olivier, 
Alexi, the two co-founders, and Ahmed Agarwal, who was at the time the chief product officer, who's kind of like, a, you know, not a, not a founder, but effectively one. And those are the three geniuses that built the thing. And I presented to them, that's what I'm going to do. They seemed to like it. They hired me. And that's what I did for the next four and a half years. This is an anniversary. This is just sort it of, really you know, is. a homecoming. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it, was that, it was after all the meetings. Those guys are so hardcore that they did meetings all day. And then we had dinner at 8 o'clock at night. And I brought my laptop like a crazy nerd to this super fancy restaurant. And I presented while everybody ate. And we closed the restaurant down at 1130. And then they even got off the elevator with me. It was kind of like... It was kind of like a magical thing where they, I had the piece that they that they needed, and they had the piece that I needed because, you know, I at that time having gone been through three four startups because I was actually at another startup that was was a bad decision, mm-hmm. and I got out of there in three months, and I learned a ton from that as well. But the ones that I worked with, I realized how important great engineering is and great product, and also. I, I wanted to work with somebody who was like me, had a chip on their shoulder. Other, a lot of people told them that they weren't the right person, maybe got passed over. And, you know, for those guys, to the extent I can tell part of their story, you can't build a, you can't build a great software company in New York. Nobody wants another monitoring company. The cloud's never going to work for enterprise yeah. companies. You know, those guys p- punch through all that stuff. And for me, I feel like I had a similar kind of story where, I had to fight my way up. Engineers can't sell. You know, maybe I didn't do as well in some different companies as some of my peers, which I think is true. But just keep kind of like working your way up, fighting up. And when we met, you know, it was kind of like, hey, let's 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 work together and make some amazing stuff happen. And and that's and like you said, it's an anniversary. It's like might be six years to this day. Oh my goodness! Oh, it's yeah. giving me the chills. So let's talk about you know they're at sixty million. They're doubling year over year. That's nothing to sneeze at. You're clearly not breaking bread with slouches. And here you are saying, guys, we can't ignore outbound. And here they're saying, well, we got here on the backs of PLG. So what the hell do you know that we don't? How do you broker that balance? Because there has to be a little bit of finesse and not calling their baby ugly. Such a great question. It's even crazier because... You, when you had so so, I don't know if you talked with uh, Alex, who was the CMO over there, but he's he also has, he had some amazing innovation around the way that Datadog gets leads at events, just yeah. the best in the business, the best booth at AWS reInvent every year. So there was also like a lot of pride for everybody that hey, we got inbound, but I knew a couple things. One, the inbound is not going to work for enterprise. You know, mm-hmm. you need to. Like enterprise, the enterprise sales that we did were more like more traditional sales. You know, you can't load software agents onto production servers at, for enterprise companies mm-hmm. without going through the, the procurement process. And yeah. then also the, the, the slope on the curve for the number of leads and the growth that we wanted to have as we scaled, if we wanted to get to a billion ARR and beyond, I mean, a billion was really like, that was our dream. And so... I knew that there was a delta there and that delta has to be filled with outbound. And also like things change, right? You know, I heard Adam Aaron's on your podcast and he was yeah. saying the same thing. I was like, man, he's saying the same thing I'm going to say, but basically I love him. He's amazing. Is that like, 
you know, you can't rely on, you know, the fish to keep jumping in the boat, right? You got to learn how to fish. And so that was one of the biggest, hardest things I did. And there was even one point when Olivier, the CEO said, Hey, I don't want you to, I don't want you to do cold calling. Engineers don't like to be cold called. And I said, Olivier, no, nobody likes to be cold called. I don't yeah. like to be cold called, but we got to do it in a way that's professional and differentiating in a way that we come up, we show up with our lunch packed, meaning we've done research on the person. We've done research on the company. We've, we are pithy, concise, and compelling in our messaging. You can, it yeah. fits on a phone. We have like something like six to eight different steps prepared ahead of time. And we are talking their language. Like we're constantly training ourselves to be great at understanding what is Redis? What is, you know, like on, on all the different crazy, you know, cloud components, open source components. We trained on that stuff every day. So here's, so here's another thing is that like, you as a leader, if you want to drive outbound, you you have to be the tip of the spear. And so I was on the first, like, I was like, hey, well, we need to do outbound. And, the, and one of the sales leaders said, oh, we, we already tried it. It doesn't work. I was like, well, let's, let, I, I might have a different opinion. Let's try it. And I got, I'm doing the cold calls. I'm doing them with them. I went yep. to Boston with the great Kenny Smith and Jake Parsons. And, you know, just go down. We had a really awesome group of people there. And they, you know... They, curiously enough, I had never actually led an inside sales team. I came up through the engineering ranks and into enterprise. And so, but the inside, the inside people, commercial people were actually most receptive to what I was saying. And so we just hammered on it. We did. The, and then when we found, okay, that worked, we went on GitHub. We found the project that the person's working on. We found out that they're using these components, Kafka, yada, yada. Right. And so now we can, now we can say something that's, meaningful to that person. We try it. We do it on LinkedIn. We do it on Twitter. It works. Stop Stop the whole company. We're talking about this right now. Yeah. Who? Everybody. And so somebody's like, I just did a 200K renewal deal. I don't care about that. I care about we did this. We got a meeting at a company that we targeted. And, and so my goal always, and the reason I think it works so well is, you know, with respect to the people I, know I want to say this in a disrespectful way, but let's just say that the companies I was at before didn't have an Alex Rosenblatt. We yeah. did not have any any inbound leads. Mm -hmm. So we had to hunt our own. We had to kill our own beasts to feed the village. Right. And so I came in knowing how to do this. And so we just I started at the beginning. How do we do a cold outreach? And then once we get a cold outreach, once they say, yes, I'll talk to you. How do we do a discovery call? And then once we get us the successful discovery call, how do we do a good first meeting demo, right? That kind of thing. I just started at the beginning and I did it with them. And every time we learn something, including getting our butts kicked, having a bad call, having a bad meeting, we are on the Slack channel. We're on a global sales call. We're talking about it. And I think it's really important to create an environment where it's safe to make mistakes. It's safe to share your failures because everyone's going to learn almost, you're going to learn more typically from your failures. So. No, that's great. So talk to me about, you come in and say, we got to do outbound. You convince the co-founders that they aren't mutually exclusive as PLG legacy experts with you guys coming in, especially in the enterprise arena. What I want to understand is, okay, you start getting signals, you get feedback, residents or lack thereof from enterprise customers as you're going out and doing this outbound thing. And some of those signals they may fly in the face of what the telemetry from PLG is telling you. They may hmm. contradict 
previous hypotheses from Alex or your predecessors. And I'm wondering, how did the power dynamic shift when you say, listen, I know what I heard. The customer told me this and the telemetry says something totally different. Who's right? Who's wrong? Or how do you reach consensus when you have contradictory opinions from contradictory methodologies of going to market? Yeah, that's an, another awesome question. I feel like as I thought about your question, it was almost like the, I don't know that we ever ran into something where it was two absolutely contradictory forces. Okay. It was more like this, this is kind of how I think about it. And I think about this is a lesson to me having done this because, excuse me, even though I did the, I did the job, I did the CRO job at Datadog, I also got to do a lot of it at Medallia in partnership with Scott Davis. Yeah. One, of, one, of the, one of the great things about him is he recognizes what somebody needs and he knew I needed to always be growing and learning. And he gave me the ball for a lot of these things. Is that like, I think about it like we're creating a new creature, right? And so the creatures, how do you create a creature? You create it with DNA. And okay, so we got three different strands of DNA. The first strand of DNA is that stuff that have anybody from the PTC lineage, the John McMahon lineage on here. It's going to be the medic and, you know, excellence in execution and, you know, uh, high activity, pipeline generation, all that stuff that every, a lot of people say. Not everybody does, but every, a lot of people say, but the people I said, I mentioned, they do it. And then, and then there's going to be the strand of DNA that existed before you showed up, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the stuff that the founders and Alex and everybody figured out before I even showed up. Yeah. And then the third strand is the stuff you create together. And you put all those three together and you create the new sales process, the new hiring profile, the new forecasting methodology, the new qualification methodology. And, and so that's what I think I really wanted. I really tried to have collaboration with my C-suite peers. And I wanted to, because I think a mistake a lot of people make is they come in like a bulldozer and they come in with like, I have medic and I have the sales process for my previous company and we're just going to jam it down everybody's throats. And I'm saying, don't do that. It's like, you got to respect what existed before you showed up because, you know, at, at Datadog, they had an incredible model for software startups that were born in the cloud that were familiar with, with the cloud. Don't mess with it. That was like one of the big things for me. Don't break that thing. It's amazing, yeah. right? So how yeah. do you build everything else around it to and not break it? And how do you leverage some of those parts for the new things like enterprise? And how do you leverage some of the new things like outbound for the SMB, which we ended up doing? Like, we, we became amazing at, at outbound uh, for SMB. Even so, so then and it took, it took a lot because the thing is, once, once we got, once we got it going, what I saw, we dug in. We also, as, as a company that's very much into data, we built a strategy team. There's a guy named Evan Peters who we met through Alex Conrad from Forbes, who's a, a genius guy, went to Amherst, went to Stanford Law. And it's like, hey, he's a genius. Let's bring him in and help us figure things yeah. out. And Evan became kind of like our growth guy. He became what he had of our growth strategy. And he figured out through the data that no matter how many more people we were hiring in the commercial team, this, we weren't getting we weren't getting out of a, a band of revenue. And so like, OK, that means people are actually not doing the outbound. So then you got to dive in and go on the calls with them and start to and once we unleash that, boom, the revenue really went up. So. Anyway, that's uh, it was, it was like just an example of collaboration and building together 
And when you find some of those hard edges where there seems like some conflict, there's probably an opportunity to, you know, bring some of that DNA together. Well, I like your philosophy coming in. You're not here to storm the castle, guns blazing and bulldozer steamroll what's already effective. And it reminds me of a quote from my mentor talks about when you arrive at a new organization, the temptation, the tendency, the pressure to immediately demonstrate your value inadvertently and counterproductively actually makes you look like a schmo because you come in and you start pointing out every hole you see in the boat and the holes may be there. And yet the, the boat is still seaworthy in spite of your either arrival or absence. So shame on you for calling everyone's baby ugly when you just showed up. The holes over time can be gradually and constructively pointed out, but we all have to resist those competing forces. I don't know if that resonates with your arrival at Datadog. Resonates 100%, Danny. It is That is, that is solid gold wisdom right there. And I see yeah. a lot of people in the CRO role who come in and they just like, everybody here stinks and so we're going to get rid of them. And it's like, okay, well, for example, I was not a subject matter expert in customer experience management when I joined yeah. Medallia. I was not an expert in cloud infrastructure monitoring when I went to Datadog. If everybody quit, we would have been screwed, right? And so we had, and so, and, and the other thing is like, yes, you can poke holes in the things that are there right now, but whatever you build, somebody else can poke holes in that too. The, 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 the point is, how do we build more good things together, right? And how do you build on top of what existed? Um, and so I think that's the thing that we really did well. Um, and that takes work. And I think the other thing, so people talk about, I don't know if you've heard of this co like concept of the beginner's mind. And so years ago, I read this book, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And I actually talked about this with Pat Grady at Sequoia uh, recently and uh, sent him the book. And because he actually brought it up to me is that like, regardless of your previous successes, you need to leave your ego at the door, right? Mm -hmm. And you need to approach something. Like I've taken a bunch of martial arts. I stink every, every time I show up, it was like, God, these guys are so good. But so there's a good, it's a nice dose of humility there, but you need to be a learner. You need to be somebody who says, okay, I, I was great at this one thing before, but this is a new thing. How do I become great at this? How do I learn? How do I learn from everybody around me? And I think when you have that approach, it makes your other, for example, in this case, say the C-suite peers, more open to collaboration when you're not coming in, acting like you know everything, you had this success at this last company, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, and you see it with the people who are really successful. Uh, um, they don't, they're not bringing their ego, right? They're learning, they're questioning, they're curious, they're collaborative. And I think if you as the leader can be like that, then you're going to create an organization like that. And so and a thing I'm super proud of is that right now of the team that I had when I left uh, Datadog about two and a half years ago, four key leaders now are CROs at companies wow. like Figma and uh, Airtable um, and Datadog, right? Because Sean yeah. Walters took over for me. Um, but, er, you know, three of them left, but everybody else is pretty much still there. And so be creating an organization because I think part of the success is not just having the IPO. For me, I wanted to have a big IPO where I was a CRO. That was a yeah. career goal. I wanted to be an executive officer of the company and have the forecast met for a year. I wanted to get to a billion ARR and I wanted the thing to keep running in a beautiful way when I left 
I rode off into the sunset and as if nothing happened. And I think that all kind of ties in together. An innovative culture gets results. The companies that promote that exact culture of innovation, they'll reap the benefits. Deanne's own experience validates that, but along the way, the numbers support this theory as well. Boston Consulting Group, or BCG, revealed that businesses who prioritize innovation are, you ready, 52% more likely to outperform their competitors. This tells us it's not only beneficial internally for employees who love the thrill and the excitement of innovating, but externally, customers love it as well. Dan knows that keeping up with changes and embracing them as a way to keep business moving and driving success, well, that's absolutely critical. Unfortunately, Forrester found that 80% of businesses actually fail in succeeding largely because they don't keep up with the changing needs of their customers. So we know Dan's theory is we gotta lean into change. We can see that Forrester tells us the vast majority of businesses out there aren't keeping with the times. Let's close this gap. Dan said it best, change is inevitable. So will you be the skin that the snake sheds or will you be the snake who evolves with the times? Let's get back to Dan and hear more of his sage advice. As you examine, so it's four or five years at three recognizable logos. Obviously, we talked about BMC, then we talked about Medallia, and obviously Datadog. When you think, kind of like you know your children, I don't know they're all special snowflakes, and yes, they you are. parent your children uniquely and differently. And I also wonder: are there lessons in parenting in the same way? Lessons in sales leadership that transcend those three chapters that you could apply as Dan's winning recipe wherever he goes as a sales leader? Or is that the inherent mistake? Is that you should not attempt to cross-pollinate or even replicate what worked at BMC to Daydog because they're such different beasts altogether. I'm wondering for the listeners out there who want, as you described, riding off into the sunset, could they take things that you've learned or is that actually an appropriation? (laughs) And we should avoid doing that at all costs. Well, I think the first one is like optimize team performance. I would say recruiting is probably the first one, but let me just do Mm -hmm. optimizing team performance first, because um, what I mean by that is kind of what I said before, where you want people like here, this is how do people learn? Okay. We have three concentric circles. The first one is on the inside is your comfort zone. You're having a beer, you're watching Netflix, you're not learning anything, but you're yeah. comfortable. The third outer concentric circle, fight, flight, or freeze, the reptilian brain says, I need yep. to survive. I'm not learning anything, I'm surviving. Yeah. The, the middle concentric circle, that's a heightened awareness uh, state, and that's when we learn. And that's where you want your people. And that is going to be different for different different people, right? Like, for example... A classic situation, and if you read John McMahon's um, uh, the Qualified Sales Leader, um, which he was nice enough to ask me to write um, part of the in, you know intro part, is that you know he talks about doing a forecast call or a forecast review in front of all your peers, right? Which I think is an important part. <clears throat> Some people can handle that better than others. It doesn't mean that they're more effective revenue generators. It does, and they might be having a bad day. They might be having have some empathy, have some understanding of like, hey, this person, like I think about it, maybe this is like the engineer in me, but like the position on a graph, I can see your point where you are and I can see your vector. I can see where you're going 
and I can see your velocity and your direction. My goal as the leader is to re- is to work with you to help you get to a better place a little bit every day, right? I'm not saying you're not as good as, as that other person, so you stink and I'm going to embarrass you in front of other people, right? And everybody can see this. These are all very smart people. And so when they see that, the same thing with, hey, I was on a call. I said this. It didn't work, right? And we're like, I, I, sh- I should have been more prepared. It's like I would say that and like, hey, because after every meeting, this is another great thing, right? Is that before every meeting, we should prepare. We should make the time to prepare for every meeting. What are we trying to get accomplished? Who's on the call? Who's got what, who's got what, goal, what, what roles for the meeting? Then we execute. Then right after the meeting, mandatory, we have a review, even if it's 10 minutes, right? 10 minutes and everybody gets to give feedback on everybody else, including me. And sometimes I'm telling you like Dale Wiedemann at uh, Medallia, if he's listening to this, there was, we had a meeting in Pittsburgh. I knew it. He was waiting. He, he was ready because I was the guy telling everybody what to do all the time. And he had one and he was right. I doubled. I kept saying the same thing that somebody else said and it made the meeting go longer and it, w- it wasn't value add. I had a bad day. He was right. I remember it here 10 years later. And so that's how you get better each day, right? And so anyway, creating an environment like that, and we had Slack channels, Google Docs, where we're just sharing stuff all the time. People get excited. They're like, oh, I just learned this. And so the way I, the way I think about it is when somebody's competing with one of us, they're competing with all of us. Mm-hmm. Like we have like the Borg brain. We've got the hive mind. We, we're all in this together. So that's one thing. How am I doing so far? Okay. Keep going. Okay, no, great. Now. Recruiting. So this is one where... Like when I went to Datadog, um, it was it was a competitive it was it was competitive for the CRO role, but mo- no enterprise people wanted to go there. It was the reputation was engineering company. They don't like salespeople. They don't pay salespeople. The deals are small. Um, they only sell this cloud based startups. But there's like a lot of reputations. There's a lot of truth in it. <laughs> Um, but that, but that was, that to me was the opportunity, right? Cause I was like, I'm going to, I can create an amazing sales culture. Yeah. And these guys who are Olivier and Alexi have already created an amazing engineering and Amit have created an amazing engineering product culture. If we can bring these things together, we can have something special, but nobody, so it was very hard to recruit. And so yeah, I put everything I had into get, I had to get like, I had to get somebody amazing and my white whale for Multiple years had been this guy, Steve Maloof, Steve, who I just talked to last night. I told him I was going to talk about him. He was like my game changer for enterprise. We, we got somebody that was probably the best recruiting I ever did in my life, maybe. And so to, because we, here's the, here's the thing, January, 2017, there were really no meaningful enterprise applications on the cloud. Now, okay, Netflix, different kind of thing. Like I'm talking about like JPMorgan Chase, you know, Capital One, American Express. There were none. Like uh, uh, Shardul, I don't know if you know Shardul from Index. Shardul, Amit, and I went to a bunch of dinners with CIOs, CTOs, January, February, March 2017. No, Nobody wanted to talk about cloud infrastructure monitoring. We had yeah. very nice wine. We had very nice food. But we were like, wow, we got we got work to do in the enterprise. So getting people to come. So anyway, recruiting. So just that was my biggest focus. Every morning I would wake up European time, well, work out, and I'm recruiting in Europe 
at like 6 a.m. And then at night, I'm recruiting in California at like, you know, it's 10 a.m. at 10 p.m. And so it's like I'm recruiting. I had like there were certain days I had like 10, 15 meetings. Wow. I'm just recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. So Larry Bossidy, he uh, was uh, actually I'm friends with one of his daughters now. It's, it's amazing. Um, but Larry Bossidy was the CEO of Allied Signal. He's one of Jack Welch's guys. He wow. wrote a book that John McMahon had us read as part of the leadership training. And Larry said when he took over Allied Signal, Honey, Honeywell, he spent like something like 80% of his time for the first six months just recruiting and just get the right people on the bus, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, and so um, you don't compromise there. And when you, when you make a mistake, fix, fix it immediately. So hire slow, fire fast. That's like, you know, part two. So anyway, you asked for some of my, like, this is the stuff that transcends whatever company you're at, in my, in my opinion. So we'll get to my second to last question in a second, but recapping some of the things I heard that are inextricable to your success playbook is as a leader, or really for that matter, anybody, but especially in leadership, visible roles, exemplifying humility, you saying, I got it wrong. And I think that trickling down throughout the whole organization, I think is really important that even with the pressure you feel, which is elevated as you move further up, not being too proud to admit your own either inadequacies or shortcomings. I love that. The other thing is compassion. And I think that finding the ability to monitor your pace and the pace of the business, and when you feel things accelerating, getting shorter, getting curt, brash, and making sure that that does not absolutely cannibalize your human to human obligations of maintaining compassion for people who have a yeah. hard day or who have things going on outside of work. Yeah. So I love those lessons so much, Dan. Uh, here's, here's, here's another one. If you're at a startup, so I've done, I've been part of five of them. Yeah. Four, four had IPOs, billion dollars or more. Um, the, one of the things I've learned is, if, and I, I'm not the first person to say this kind of thing, but like every six months, it becomes a different company. If it's, if it's, if it's going well, right. If you're growing, you know, like a $10 million a year company is way different than a $25 million, 50 million, et cetera. It's like when it's so to, to grow, it's like a snake shedding its skin, right? You want to be, you want to be the snake. You don't want to be the skin. And so think about how, do, how can you grow as the company grows? Mm -hmm. How do you continue to up your game so that you can and think about your role or the role you want to be in? A year from now, two years from now, what are the skill sets that you see other people in those roles, possibly at the same company, possibly at other companies? And how do you work on yourself on that right now? Right. How do you make yourself better? That's how software companies grow is that the product gets better. The go to market gets better. Right. And so you have to be you have to get better, too. And otherwise, you'll be the skin. I like that analogy. Certainly something I'm going to be taking away from this episode is, are you in fact the skin or do you possess that omnipresent corporeal essence of the entity in the snake itself? That's great. So we've talked a lot about what will transcend Datadog to apply to anything else that you do. I'm wondering in the tell-all episode that is Dan Fougere, any tales from the crypt that haven't become publicly available or widely understood yeah. about the journey. Tales from the crypt of times when obviously we know about the Hollywood finish, but times when you're like, I am down on my luck. 
or I am like wondering, are we going to pull this off or even other pivotal turning points or like formative watersheds that you could share with us before we wrap for the day? Yeah. I mean, uh, there are a number of those. I don't know if some of them are too like esoteric to be entertaining to other people. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that people know the most is the infrastructure product that st- was started the whole thing. But yeah. we kept kept building out the platform. And so each time we came out with a new product, a genius thing. I don't know if I said this before, if you've heard this, but we would buy the company and then have them rebuild the product in the platform. And that I've, I never saw it before. It was it was an ingenious move. But each time it came out, we would have less features than, say, for logs Splunk or for APM App Dynamics, And so it made it, it, it – the platform integration made it easier to sell, but the lack of features made it harder to sell. And also, you know, like, listen, this is a consumption model. And so most salespeople – this is probably valuable for anybody who has not been part of a consumption model like a Datadog or a Snowflake or something like that is that there's, there's real costs right behind the scenes. And so logs, for example, you know, we were selling logs. We did a really game changing deal with a big video streaming company that a lot of people are customers of. And, and it, was, it was so successful that it started, we realized our model might be off. Right. And so how do how do we actually same thing with APM? How do we actually price this thing in a way that the the economics are good? From the beginning, instead of doing a deal and just saying, hey, we did a deal. Hooray. Well, we're losing yeah. money. All right. Well, we'll figure that out later. We were like, no, let's figure it out now on this deal. Yeah. And so there were a lot. There was a lot of friction in there uh, as we tried to make sure we had good unit economics right from the beginning on new products in the midst of the like landmark deals. Um, and I think that really took a lot of kind of real hard conversations to have. Um, and that's, I think, a thing that I would also say with to anybody who's, you know, my goal, I mentioned this to you, today is my birthday. This is, uh, the if you're on video, you can see my assistant put that up behind me. So but my gift to everybody on my birthday is hopefully, if you want to be a successful CRO, hopefully there's some good stuff in here um, for you. Um, but um, I think like to really try to have like bring, have open conversations. There's, it, it, there's just no chance that you're going to do something so uh, successful without having those moments where there's like, well, the sales team has this deal. Well, product says the economics aren't good enough. Hey, we forgot to include, you know, the backup costs on it or whatever. Those are hard conversations. Have them in a way where you have, where it's like professional and respectful. And we're trying to, we're trying to get to, we're not against each other. We're trying to build something great together and we're working together. We're listening to each other, and we're, but we're still moving forward. So anyway, hopefully that was good. Your discussion of having hard conversations resonates with what I've read about and how Frank Slootman, the CEO of oh, yeah. Snowflake and Chris Degnan, who's the CRO, how they try and reframe the word conflict in the workplace. Yeah. And societally, we associate sort of conflict with, oh, like that's bad on any front, personal or professional. And what they're saying is conflict has to happen, but it can be respectful and it can be productive. And if at the end of conflict or those hard conversations you described, we actually come out the other side with progress, we should not shy away from that because of people's feelings 
Obviously, yes. we're not here to steamroll or just completely neglect feelings, but you need to be willing to courageously engage in conflict in the service and in the name of progress. That, that, so I have so much respect for both of those guys. Frank was on the board at Medallia, mm-hmm. spoken to Chris a, uh, a couple of times. He went, to, he went to high school with Adam Aarons. Whatever they're doing in that town, yeah. keep doing that. Um, and so um, same thing for me and Olivier, right? Um, and I'd say Ahmed as well. Like in the beginning, as we're, if you're trying to transform, like each of us are trying, everybody's trying to build something great that didn't exist before. And there's inherent conflicts are guaranteed. And so, and so I actually hired an executive coach and I've done years of uh, psychologists uh, for, my, for myself, but I, that also helped me professionally. And I also have had years of executive coaching and I hired an executive coach to help me be able to have those hard conversations better with the founders. And, uh, and then about two months into it, uh, Olivia is like, hey, whatever you're doing with that coach, it's working. Keep doing it. It's, uh, because, yeah. You know, because you have like really smart, driven people who um, are strong willed. And ha- so how do you how do you de- how do you kind of defuse it? Take the take the kind of ego and the personality out of it and, and put the put the actual data on the table and say, how do we make this thing great with listening to what we both are trying to do here and come out of it? Here's the other thing. Come out of it with agreement on a way forward. And, and everybody puts everything into making it successful because the, what you don't want is a proof of failure. You don't want somebody to come out of it and be like, ah, that idea sucks. I'm going to make it fail because these, everybody's too smart for that. Anybody does that, you'll see right through it. Totally. Well, Dennis, we try and put a bow on every juicy morsel or lesson or piece of wisdom that you've offered in this episode. I'd be remiss if I didn't also ask the same question that we close every episode with. And given you heard Adam's episode, this shouldn't come as a surprise to you. But as our capstone to today's episode, Dan, if you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? Growth. Say more. To me, it's about personal. It was about personal growth. Um, you know, if as an engineer, cold calling was super hard. Mm-hmm. I had to. I had to learn that. Uh, saying no to an unqualified POC super hard. I had to learn that. I had to learn that. Um, becoming a leader of salespeople and having to be the tip of the spear, and when everyone else is saying, hey, "Boss, show me what to do," that required personal growth. Being being somebody who's like, "Hey, I'm I have a vision. I'm the CRO at this company, and we're gonna double every year for the next two years. We're gonna have an IPO. We're gonna we're gonna you're never gonna have to look for another job again." Like that, being that person who can inspire people like that, that took growth. So when I think about it, it's about, it has been the way that I have grown as a person my entire career. Well, again, I'll just remind listeners, the growth, the grit, the tenacity you exhibited was not in any way mutually exclusive with your vigilance in maintaining humanity and compassion and vulnerability to get to the success that you so rightfully deserve. So from your days with McMahon at BMC, all the way to what is an illustrious going out in the sunset on your own terms with Datadog, just you were certainly the envy of all of us who think as we're early in our careers, what does success look like? So thanks for setting such a sterling example, Dan. Danny, you do a great job. I love what you do. Thanks for having me. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is Dan Fougere, former CRO of Datadog. You can find him online on LinkedIn in his free time, as I mentioned before, doing absolutely noble work on the board of multiple nonprofits. Dan Fougere, thanks so much for being on Reveal. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, then head on over to gong.io. If you like what you heard, well, along the way, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen. 